I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, June, just to review, we we just go back and forth in Spanish and English Uh and um, try not to like you know speak one only for too long but you know there's no rules and we don't translate as uh-huh. we go we just go back and forth like you do in your conversations with your friends hola 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 guillermo que tal no te vemos my, my audio is okay no no are you on are you in the bath again guillermo <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I think we lost you, June, your audio. I was saying that Nick looked familiar. He still looks familiar. I mean, familiar. I, <laughs> I feel like I look familiar. <laughs> hold that thought. Hold that thought. Oh, hold it. <laughs> if you're like me, it's going to go away quickly. <laughs> Welcome everybody to Don't Interrupt Me Por Favor. We're preparing a very special Earth Day episode with our friend June Carolyn Ehrlich, who is an author and also editor-in-chief of Revista, the Harvard Review of Latin America. Uh, and she's also the publications director of the um, David Rockefeller Center for Latin American Studies there at Harvard. Um, we could talk to June about a lot of different things. She's also the author of a book on telenovelas, which has a lot of fun, juicy, interesting information. But today we're going to talk to her about her brand new book, Natural Disasters in Latin America and the Caribbean, um, with the subtitle Coping with Calamity, which kind of tells a lot. Um, and so... Yeah, I I uh, I w- welcome to our show, June. Gracias, Lisa. Thank you. So nice to meet all of you. June, I was I was just reading the first chapter of your book um, about natural disasters, and I'm thinking, okay, natural disasters. This is this is going to be super uh, depressing. But then I read something that makes me think this is going to be super depressing. But this is also going to kind of change change a little bit of the chip of how I think about natural disasters because you're right. There's no such thing as a natural disaster. And I think, what, what do you mean? What did you mean that? Or what do you mean by that? Well, you know, you have the hurricane that comes in, you have the drought, you have the flood, you have the earthquake, and those are the product of mother nature, as it were. But you know, what happens to people, what happens to communities, no tiene nada que ver con natural, because it's what's your government, um, what your community, um, what the corrupt person who built your house and it's all going to come tumbando down. You know, in my book, I tell the story of 
two little girls. Eh, una es una colombiana, the other is a little Haitian girl, um, an 11 year old and a 14 year old. And these little girls were victims of natural, entre comillas, disasters. And they weren't at all. Omaira, uh, who is probably the better known of the two cases, um, because it was one of the first televised incidents of a uh, rescue or an attempted rescue, uh, was caught in an avalanche. And workers worked for three days to try to rescue her. Mama, si me escuchas, yo creo que sí. Reza para que yo pueda caminar y esta gente me ayude. Cuando salga, me tomen una con la cámara que salga yo triunfante. And it was impossible because they couldn't get the right equipment. Mami, te quiere mucho, mi papi, hermano, y yo, adios madre. And it wasn't because the right equipment didn't exist. second little girl is even to me more heartbreaking because she's from a rural, she was from a rural area in Haiti and her neighbors um, actually managed, it was after the earthquake in 2010 and her neighbors did manage to get a power saw and to um, basically amputate a leg and get her out from where she was trapped. And the local doctor could only give painkiller. She lived three hours away from the nearest hospital. She bled out on the roof. That is not natural. Tiene pinta que lo que estamos escuchando aquí es que los desastres naturales afectan más a los que son más pobres, a los que están más desprotegidos, a los que tienen la piel un poquito más oscura, ¿o no? Sí, eh, pero también puede ser eh, que los pobres viven en una comunidad donde el Estado responde para ellos. Es decir, por ejemplo, si veamos eh, el caso de Chile, en el sur de Chile, la gente afectada eran pobres pero tenía un gobierno que respondía. Entonces, no quiero mirarlo como una cosa de clase social, aunque muchas veces es, es una, una cosa de cómo responde la comunidad, cómo responde el gobierno. Como decías. Bueno, pero hay, hay, perdona que te interrumpa, por favor. Adelante, tenemos una llamada desde, desde uh, Arizona, ¿sí? Eh, ¿Quién sí. es, por favor? Sí, sí, soy Lisa, aquí, okay. y quería... Bueno. Gracias por llamar, Lisa, muchísimas gracias por sí. llamar. Estamos, recordamos al resto de los oyentes que estamos abiertos a cualquier tipo de llamada. Eh, adelante, Lisa. Eh, cinco minutos, por favor, porque tenemos mucha gente esperando. No, solo era un comentario de que tú habías dicho que en este país 
con COVID es que ha sucedido igual. Y, pero como también como Guillermo dice, en este país ha matado a más gente en, en clase social que no tiene acceso a los hospitales y todo eso aquí o dinero para, para pagar uh, el costo. Um, it all depends your experience of that all depends on how you are being governed, the situation you find yourself in. Are you rich? Are you poor? Um, and what was incredible to me was to be having done all the research for the book and sitting down to write it in the middle of COVID and to see things playing out exactly the same way you know supplies not getting to people with hospitals not having the capacity so it's how people are prepared for those disasters and surprise surprise some people are better prepared than others and how the government respond or the agencies or whoever is in charge of responding responds to the people and surprise surprise again sometimes not everybody gets the same response, right? So there's, there's like two different chapters here, right? Exactly. Um, a Puerto Rican friend of mine uh, likes to talk about hurricanes and about how both of them, how they produce two big parties. Una fiesta antes del huracán para preparar y una fiesta después del huracán para rescatar. That's really, that's true, you know, that you... you You have these two things and they go on, not just for the, what really interested me, Guillermo, is not the, um, okay, we're being prepared and okay, we're cleaning up. But the fact that even generations after a disaster that you are still having an effect, um, for example, um, in terms of trauma, um, there have been studies that show that um, children who were infants or who were conceived during a natural, entre comillas, disaster um, have lower schooling um, than do other children, that they are affected um, somehow traumatically by these disasters which were ex they never experienced, that their parents experienced. Um, the second thing, and this is very, in the United States, we see it very deeply now, is um, the effect on uh, migration. And the fact, you know, a lot of uh, people out there in the audience will have heard of TPS, of Temporary Protected Status, and may remember that that was given in most cases to victims of natural disasters. Well, you know, now you have a whole second generation, which is born in the United States um, with parents who are being vulnerable because um, they were afraid that status was going to be taken away from them. So it's not just a matter of today, yesterday and tomorrow. It goes down through the generations. <laughs> 
San Miguel Arcángel, santito, no te quedes tan duro, tan quietecito, no te regocijes en tu pasado, que ahora es de veras cuando te, te necesito. Wait, 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 wait. So, había gente que vinieron a Estados Unidos con una visa de desastre, y como ya no hay desastre, les pueden deportar. Bueno, con el gobierno de Biden eh, no va a pasar. Pero Trump quería acabar con ese estatus, que no era visa, pero era una cosa renovable cada cinco años. Entonces, eh, Trump quería que todos los salvadoreños, que todos los nicaragüenses y guatemaltecos que habían venido con Hurricane Mitch, eh, y los haitianos con el terremoto eh, que se, se fueron a, a sus países. Ahora es cuando el demonio se pone el moño. Ahora es cuando los santos ya no son tantos. Ahora es cuando los dioses son solo a dioses. Ahora es cuando el pecado anda muy confiado. San Miguel, Santillo, Santillo. Pero yo iba a decir about what's happening now at the border, which in a way is nothing new, and in a way is something new because we have a new administration. And I am reading these stories or listening to these stories, and I'm hearing about there are many children and families at our southern border. But when I'm reading these stories or listening to these stories, I'm not hearing much in all these stories about them being climate migrants. Or climate refugees. Or climate refugees. Yeah, I'm not hearing climate crisis. I might hear a little bit, well, a couple big hurricanes. But talk, can, you, can, you, can you make the connection clearer? Well, definitely. I, I think that um, I've been struck by how often even the hurricanes aren't mentioned. Um, when we talk about natural disasters, often we think about these spectacular ones. You know, we think about avalanches and hurricanes and earthquakes, but the most common natural disaster in Latin America is flooding. And in Central America, flooding and drought, which are technically called slow onslaught, slow onset natural disasters, um, are just very, very common in, um, you know, in Guatemala, there's just a cycle, this corn, you know, that looks like the Indian corn you put on your door at Halloween time, um, you know, where nothing is growing. And it's just less dramatic to say, you know, these kids are at the border because their parents can't grow corn. Well, you know what? I mean, there probably was another step. There probably was, I can't grow corn. I'm going to go to Guatemala City. I'm going to go to Guatemala City. I can't find a job. I'm going to go to the United States. You know, I hear President Biden is letting everybody in. Um, but it's not a, you know, even when you think about, you know, violence, the farmer who goes to the city with his teenage kids because he can't grow corn Um, is leaving them in an urban environment where, bueno, hay maras, hay, hay muchas tentaciones en la calle. And so either they become members of gangs 
or they're vulnerable and their parents don't want them to become members of the gang. So what, are they fleeing the corn that they left behind in the rural area or they or are they fleeing the violence? They're fleeing an intolerable situation which is made worse by climate change. San Miguel Arcángel, Santo, que me está arrebatando este desencanto. Yo lloré, lloré, lloré mejor, ya lo canto. San Miguel Arcángel, Santito, no te quedes de hierro, ve. Palo Santo, que me está arrebatando este desencanto. Yo lloré, lloré, lloré mejor, ya lo canto. Bueno, iba a decir, Guillermo, tú acabas de regresar de la frontera. ¿Qué nos cuentas? ¿Qué has visto? Bienvenidos a Texas. Estamos muy cerquita del río, todavía pasan, se van escondiendo, van, van bien. Donde tienen un poquito más problemas cuando ya caminan un poquito más lejos y ya se les acaba el agua, se les acaba lo de que van comiendo. Pero uh, sí miramos muchos inmigrantes que cruzan por aquí. Nos ha tocado también la mala suerte que hemos mirado varios que han quedado en el rancho que por perdidos, venían malos que han muerto aquí en el rancho. Solo en el mes de febrero, la Policía de Fronteras detuvo más de 100.000 emigrantes. Aunque crucen por México, dos tercios provienen de Guatemala, El Salvador y Honduras. Hugh Fitzsimmons, responsable del Tribunal de las Aguas del Condado, cree que la solución pasaría por contratar a los emigrantes como temporeros y que terminado el trabajo, regresasen a sus países. I think it's the only answer, because you're not gonna stop a, a larger uh, population that is uh, destitute from ever um, entering into the United States. I mean, it's going to happen. Based in the agricultural sector, we need jobs we need people to work desperately. Claro que no todo el mundo es de la misma opinión. La gente de México roba mucho a Estados Unidos. Aquí sacan dinero para mucho y comida igual. Este pueblo de Eagle Pass está en el estado de Texas porque lo pone en el mapa, porque aquí le preguntas en inglés a cualquier ser humano algo y la respuesta es, mandé. ¿Cómo es la situación de los emigrantes aquí? ¿Tú que, que estás viendo la frontera todo el rato? Ahorita los emigrantes están cruzando a lo loco. Se dice a lo loco, pasan en las noches, venimos acá, es mi negocio, y vemos los migrantes pasar de grupos de 10, de 20 personas, corren, se esconden en estos negocios acá. Es que es una situación muy peligrosa. ¿Y hay algo? O sea, por ejemplo, eh, te viene alguien como dices tú con niños pequeños, mojado, con hambre, por lo menos le puedes facilitar agua, comida, algo. Eh, lo que pasa es que cruzando para acá se ven los, los, este, sí hemos ayudado. No voy a decir que no, aunque yo no puedo decir eso enfrente de los... No, no vamos a decir que ha ayudado a nadie aquí, ¿eh? momento, que aquí no ha ayudado a nadie. Bueno. Pero, este, sí, 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 nos ven ayudando, sí, nos, nos pueden dar un, un, una multa. Es, es el gran problema de este siglo, la inmigración y, y, y el cambio climático, pero van tan unidos, tan unidos, que por eso me parece tan interesante hablar con Jun ¿no? de estos desastres, porque no hay una solución, ¿verdad? No hay, eh, no. Tú, estás, tú, es, tú estás haciendo preguntas, creo, más que, no, más que dando eh, respuestas. Sí, es, es, es una de mis preguntas, porque no, obviamente, eh, con cosas como huracanes, hay cosas que se puede hacer. Es decir, no se puede detener el huracán, 
pero se puede construir en cierta manera, se puede construir en ciertos lugares que tiene que tener planes de evacuación. Pero con las sequías y las inundaciones, eh, especialmente las sequías, no hay, hay muy poco que se puede hacer porque se ha, se ha visto que los canales causan más daño y entonces hay que mirar al cambio climático como un problema global y tratar de frenarlo. But you also have to think about a policy of how you help towns and cities that are subject to um, natural disasters and how you build you know, those up. So if your corn is drying up because of drought, what else can you do? Or what can you do with dried corn? Well, it happens around the world. Um, Tom Friedman with the New York Times has been writing about this for years in the sense of Africa, you know, different countries in Africa getting, you know, de desertification basically, you know, and then the people who farmed just don't have a job. And so it's, it's a global phenomenon, like you said, Um, and so the wars, you know, the middle, the wars in the Middle East, a lot of conflict comes out of the same cause. You know, but I think you have you have to deal with with what we're looking at with natural disasters, whether we're looking at you know hurricanes or drought, is you have to deal with it on a first of all global basis in terms of being universal, but also in terms of We're just not thinking about what's happening with the disaster itself. We're thinking about what happens if you do build a dam um, for the flood, what happens? If you do build the canals, what happens? What kind of other jobs can people do? What kind of education can we give to this community on a very small scale? Um, Harvard has a, pro has a project, which I write about in the book, in the um, south of Chile. And this was an area that was affected by um, a tsunami and where children, the whole community, children in particular, became afraid of the water. When you think about, okay, how do you deal with the tsunami? Um, you know, part of that is education. What are the evacuation routes? That's really necessary. Um, where do you build? Where don't you build? That's very necessary. But also working with the education of kids, of looking at what kind of industries um, revolve around the water, um, looking even at tourism and how you can with this understanding of the relationship between the water and the land you can bring in more tourism so you have to think about it in a multi-segmented um kind of way it's not i think oh. she froze the video too right yep um, tenía una pregunta muy buena y ahora... Ahora se te ha ido, se te ha ido. june are you back I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, we thought, we thought you were cheating. You were you were actually paused the whole thing to go and Google the answer. Oh, but, yeah, uh, anyway. right. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> June, hay, hay cosas como mientras estabas de reportera trabajando en el libro que te, te sorprendieron mucho, cosas sorprendentes. Por ejemplo, estuve leyendo un poco más de, 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 de tu libro había un, un barrio hondureño que se llamaba, antes se llamaba Sal Si Puedes, y ahora se llama Esperanza. Ahora es cuando me visto, se pone listo. Ahora es cuando las vacas se ponen flacas. Ahora es cuando las peras a 25. Ahora es cuando la vida me pone al brinco. San Miguel, San eh, mi primer viaje de periodista al extranjero era a un pueblo que se llama Olanchito en Honduras. Y yo fui porque una vecina mía en la Florida, había, hondureña, había hecho una colección de juguetes y ropa para su pueblo. Y entonces ella eh, me, llamó, me llamó y me preguntó si el periódico me podría mandar. Yo era la única persona en el periódico que hablaba español. Entonces fui. Y entonces en este, en este pueblo, una pequeña ciudad en las montañas de Honduras, que habían sido impactado por huracán Fifi, había un, un barrio que se llamaba Sal Si Puedes, Get Out If You Can. Uh -huh. Y yo sé que esto es como mucha gente en Honduras sienten ahora. Eh, pero regresé un año más tarde y había tanto la ayuda económica que había llegado a ese pueblo que cambiaron el nombre del barrio a Esperanza, Hope. But that doesn't happen too frequently with natural disasters. Um, it mostly, they mostly produce a sal si puede. Uh, yeah, normalmente, normalmente pasa de llamarse sal si puedes a llamarse entra si tienes pelotas. Pero, <laughs> pero en este caso la, 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 solución, la solución es del enigma es más bonita que nunca. Y la verdad es que eh, aunque la esperanza ocurra pocas veces y ocurra en lugares pequeños, ocurre que es lo importante y es ese clavo ardiendo al que nos agarramos los que queremos que esta vida vaya mejorando poco a poco. We're here today talking with June Carolyn Ehrlich, author of Natural Disasters in Latin America and the Caribbean. June is known uh, in, in her community um, in Somerville and Cambridge for her parties on her roof deck of her apartment and oh. enter entertaining all the journalists that come through Harvard from Latin America and the Caribbean and Spain. Um, so we could talk to her for hours about many things, but I was wondering on your travels for reporting, you went to Cuba, you went 
to many places. Um, what were some of the conversations you had with people about this subject that just really stuck with you, maybe about their resilience or anything else? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, one of the things that really struck me in, um, uh, in Puerto Rico was that I ended up in a earthquake. Um, and I had actually, I had booked my trip to Puerto Rico to look at the impact of Hurricane uh, Maria. And the, there was an earthquake and I thought the earthquake was over. And I went down and, and a friend of mine who's a reporter took me to the south and the earth was still, was still quaking. Um, and we talked to a lot of people and one of the women who said to me, Oh gosh, I prefer hurricanes. We know what to do with them. And that just sort of struck me, you know, that people just get, you know, they get used to things, they get prepared to things. And when those things happen differently, it's very, um, it's very traumatic. I guess what also struck me so much was the um, historical memory of um of people um so i was walking around um this community in the south of uh, puerto rico and uh i was talking to this woman and she had built a rather elaborate tent on a hill this was a you know lower middle class neighborhood but with a nice view of the ocean and um so I said, oh, well, you know, your house is right there. Why did you decide to um, come up to this hill? She said, oh, well, you know, in the, last, in the last earthquake, there was a tsunami. So I wanted to make sure that we were further from the ocean. And I'm like, I'm kind of going, like, nobody told me there was another, you know, earthquake. No one told me about the tsunami. And everyone's acting like an earthquake is a very odd deal. And so, you know, I uh, went back to where I was staying and I Googled and, cause I was too embarrassed to ask her, well, when was it? It was in 1918. Oh God. <laughs> and, you know, here is a 30 something year old woman who probably had been taught in school about the tsunami of 1918. And for her, it was like the last earthquake and she better, she knew what to do. She had to get up on that hill. San Miguel Arcángel, Santito, no te quedes tan duro, tan quietecito, no te regocijes en tu pasado, que ahora es de veras cuando te, te necesito. ¿Cómo, ¿Cómo crees que influye eh, el tema de que Centroamérica en general, me corriges tú, pero mi concepción es que es un, un lugar con comunidades muy religiosas, ¿no? Siempre está Dios primero y, y eso eh, que tiene una parte de, pues de alegre, de valores humanos, de, de honradez de las gentes, también tiene una parte de manejarle desde arriba y de sumisión, ¿no? Y de aceptar pues que pues te ha comido el lobo el hijo, pues ¿qué le vas a hacer? Pues el lobo tiene hambre, te come al hijo. No sabes que es que podían haber puesto una valla para que el lobo no te comiera al hijo, ¿no? No sé, ¿qué percepción tienes tú de, de, de esa manera de ver la vida en Centroamérica y cómo aceptan los desastres naturales? Sí, 
Es una buena pregunta y la verdad que no... Sí, no, la verdad es que es buena, ¿eh? O sea, está feo que lo diga yo, pero la pregunta es buena, buena, buena. Muy buena, buena. Es, es de Nick, de es, de Nick me, es de Nick, es de Nick, es como se si ha leído el libro, me la pasa por texto aquí. Eh, mire, yo creo que pues en dos sentidos. Hay, sí, hay cierto, cierto nivel de papelismo que uno, por ejemplo, en el, la avalancha de Colombia, eh, el sacerdote dijo, no, quédate en casa. Y la gente se quedaron en casa y muchos murieron porque no salían por escuchar al, al sacerdote. Pero al mismo tiempo, eh, la iglesia en muchos lugares ha sido un, un factor de movilizar a la gente después. Mm. A, a poner la comunidad junto, a levantar comida, a pedir a las... La iglesia es internacional. Entonces le queda fácil a pedir ayuda a sus hermanos en Europa, en los Estados Unidos, en América del Sur. Entonces va en dos direcciones diferentes. Yo creo que uno no, no puede decir que es negativo ni es positivo. Es influente. All right. I think Nick, Nick had a question for you, June. Okay. I've been working on this question for a long time. So ah. thank you for um, being willing to maybe answer it. But I'm just curious how you your you and ended up having a, a this bilingual life how you became ah. how you became this latin american expert editing the revista um, but just having this bilingual life and dedicating a lot of your time to to speaking spanish and living in spanish and, yeah and um basically i grew up or spent most of my teenage years in um, a neighborhood in New York that was predominantly Dominican. And my, I had a neighbor who said to me, when are you going to teach us English? And I said to him, when are you going to teach me Spanish? Mm. And we started this little exchange group. And um, so I, I ne never studied Spanish. And I started going with my neighbors to the Dominican Republic, um, you know, for some holidays and, you know, being there. I went to, um, after that, I went to Columbia Journalism School and I did my master's thesis on Cuba. And then when I went out in the world to get my first job, um, there was a little bit of a recession. This was 1970. And um, I got hired at the Jersey Journal, not because I had this wonderful degree from the um, Columbia Journalism School, but because I spoke Spanish. And I ended up covering the Cuban community in Jersey City and Union City and West New York. Um, where I had to be very quiet about having done my master's degree um, thesis on, on Cuba. Um, and it just, it just sort of, it happened. Um, I have a little theory. Uh, and because I also, you know, have been in Germany and um, have reported from, from Germany, 
and don't have the same relationship with German, I'm short. And I think that I identify unconsciously, I think that I identified more with Latin Americans because all the gringas were so tall. Mm. And my Latin American friends were the same height as me. The Germans were taller. The Germans were a lot taller. Those Germans, man. Those Germans always. Uh, anyways, <laughs> don't, don't get me started. Um, I'll go right along with you. <laughs> Una curiosidad. Por, por saber si, si tú experimentaste la misma sorpresa que yo, yo reconociendo que soy un desastre natural personalmente, que tenía que haber caído en la cuenta antes, pero para mí fue una sorpresa. Yo desde España voy a Centroamérica, especialmente a Centroamérica, y, 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 y espero hablar español. Y de repente encuentro muchísimas comunidades que no entienden lo que digo. O sea, eh, el, la, la fortaleza del quechua y de, y de tantos lenguajes indígenas. ¿no? no sé si para ti fue una sorpresa o, o, o no, o, o cómo lo viste eso, pero eh, Centroamérica no necesariamente es en español. Tampoco los que cruzan Río Bravo entienden español, muchos de ellos. Bueno, eso... Eso solamente es verdad en Guatemala. Es decir, en los otros países de Centroamérica son español dominante. Pero a mí me pasó en Nueva York que yo estaba de voluntaria de intérprete en el hospital de St. Luke's. Y entonces viene un hombre mexicano baleado y me pone ahí de intérprete. Y yo no lo entiendo. Y <risa> pienso, pienso que sí, he perdido mi español. Eh, eh, el tipo es baleado, pero también es drogado o, o, o borracho, entonces no puedo. Y me di cuenta que no, que no está hablando en español. Está hablando en un idioma indígena. Y, Última cosa que yo iba a pensar con un, un señor mexicano baleado en las calles de Nueva York. Well, June, what what was you know what gave you the most hope from your um, your reporting? Because that is something when when as journalists we talk about climate change and people just kind of can't deal with it because it's it's so overwhelming or it can be. So, you know, you kind of have to like break it down into like really small things, but what gave you hope when you were out doing this book? What gave me hope was communities thinking about how you deal with the next one, with communities thinking about how do we make our lives better? How do we work together to make our lives better? That's what gave me hope. You know, in Puerto Rico, the situation couldn't have been more grim in terms of um, how the government um, was responding to the crisis and how um, international aid was responding to the crisis or not getting through. And to see communities, to seeing people making lists, what we need, you know, baby diapers, the size of this, air conditioning, um, for the uh, blankets, for the tents that were air conditioned for the older people. Um, just very, very, people coming and collecting these things and university students, you know, coming together and psychologists flying down from the United States, Puerto Rican people uh, of Puerto Rican origin 
um, who had studied in the United States and coming down to help their paisanos um, to work together with their paisanos. Um, that's what gives me hope. Well, we're here with, sorry, go ahead, Nick. I don't want no, to interrupt No, interrupt no, 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 really. interrupt me, por favor, Nick. Por, 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 por favor, no interrumpa, Nick. Es que, no, es que somos siempre los mismos. No, Nick, es que somos siempre los mismos. Te lo digo, ¿sabes? Que, es que al final coincide. Es que mires la lista y dices, ¿quiénes son? Y son siempre los mismos. So, we have, you know, we, I'm feeling a little hopeful right now because tomorrow I get my first, I scheduled the first vaccine. I'm super smooth here in Brooklyn and I'm going to go get it. Woohoo. Uh, but I'm also thinking, like, what you're in your book, you're talking about. Uh, climate change, you're talking about natural disasters, and I'm thinking like pandemics are clearly linked to climate change, and there's gonna, there's going to be, likely there will be even more pandemics unless we figure out climate change, and it's, you know, I, I'm, I want to keep up with this hopeful, this buoyancy, getting the vaccine, you're saying you've seen like the, this thing's bubbling up in, in Puerto Rico, other places, can I, can I still be hopeful, like COVID-21, COVID-20, COVID-23? Are we going to figure this out? Is this like a wake-up call? Like, hello, people, we got to figure out the climate. Look at natural disasters. Look, we finally have this hope from the having, you know, this miracle of all these vaccines. But what do you think, June? I don't have a crystal ball. No? No. Oh, wait. Oh, no, that's an iPhone. Um, no, I mean, I, I go back and forth between being, you know, extremely uh, being hopeful and thinking, no, we will figure this out. And, you know, there are going to be glitches. But, yeah, we, you know, this has been a huge learning opportunity. And, you know, and now that we've managed to get a vaccine for COVID so fast, hey, let's work on cancer, you know. Um, hey, let's like get a vaccine for, you know, for AIDS. Um, let's like, let's really be able to figure this stuff out. And there are other days where, you know, I go, no, this is just the earth going under. So I don't have the answer to you. Mm. I have a question. I have a question. Uh, mm. Can I interrupt you, Guillermo? No, just kidding. Por favor, por favor, Nick. No, no, no. Es, que, es que son siempre los mismos. Es que otra vez tú, Nick. Es que sí, podría haber sido Lisa. O sea, so, aquí somos tres. Hay posibilidad de que sean dos personas. Es que siempre el mismo. Eh, como una persona que, que ha viajado a, a la cantidad de países que hay en Centroamérica y Sudamérica, y no sé, va a haber más de 20, yo no sé, la cantidad de países ahí. A la hora de hacer una fiesta en un tejado y hacer, tener un designated drink, una bebida especial... Eh, June, tú serías más de mojito, más de piña colada, te irías más al pisco sour, te quedarías con el ronco Coca-Cola. O sea, es, es, esa decisión tiene que ser difícil para una persona que ha estado bebiendo tanto, tanto tiempo. Aguardiente. ¿Cuál? ¿Aguardiente? Sí. ¿Aguardiente de caña? Sí. ¿De Cuba o qué? Colombia. De Colombia, ok. Ok. Pues aguardiente, pues nada, pues para todos los que nos estén escuchando que tengan tejado y puedan hacer fiesta. Cuando se termine el COVID, aguardiente de caña de Colombia y, y a tirar para adelante como es de Alicante. En casa de, de June. Bueno, uh, lo, lo hemos pasado muy bien contigo eh, esta vez. And don't interrupt me, por favor. Uh, for people listening who want to get June's book, once again, it's Natural Disasters in Latin America and the Caribbean. We hope some policymakers will 
read that book so they can be better informed about maybe how to make those disasters less and less natural um, and, and, and cope with the calamity in a better way. Thank you so much. Muchas Jim. gracias. Nos vemos pronto. Thank you for having me. I'll bring a bottle uh, of mezcal if that's okay. I'll see you on the roof. Nos vemos Ciao. dentro de poco otra edición de Don't Interrupt Me. Por favor, aquí estamos navegando entre dos mundos, en español cuando podemos y en inglés cuando nos hace falta. Adiós. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.